you pray with me this morning? Father God, we come before you today and we just humbly ask that you meet us where we are. Lord, I just pray that this morning that you would remove those distractions from us that as our hearts have been led through song into a a moment of praise and worship, Lord, we, we pray that that continue throughout, Lord, that you use your scripture to call us out. We pray that you use your scripture to encourage us. We pray that you use your scripture to um, give us hope that who we've been doesn't necessarily have to be who we are in the future. And Lord, we just ask that and every, every time we come into this place and we gather as more than just one or two people, there's, there's so many different things at play, so many things that we can be stressed about, so many things that we can be distracted with. So Lord, we, we just pray that you would give our hearts and our minds um, just, just the ability this morning to, to focus on you. And that's what I pray for. I, I pray that the focus not, not be on me, that the focus not be on my words, but Lord, that you would use me today. Lord, that you would empty me of me, that you would fill me with your spirit and allow me to speak your truth, allow me to speak your heart, your love. And so, Father God, we just ask that you would guide us and direct us today. Lord, we love you. We praise you. It is in your holy name that we pray. Amen. I want to start off this morning by reading a quote from Zig Ziglar who says this. If you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. This means that it's difficult to accomplish anything without some type of goal or direction. This morning we're continuing the series that we've been in called Kingdom Come. This series all about defining our aim. What is our purpose as believers? And that purpose is to create kingdom culture here in our church, to create that culture here in our city, to build up the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. We do that by transforming our head, heart, and hands with God's word, investing in people by gathering and reaching, serving our neighbors by sharing our gifts, and elevating the kingdom through praise and worship. This morning we're focusing on serving our neighbors by sharing our gifts. But in order to share our gifts, I think that it's important for us to spend a little bit of time this morning to talk about what those gifts are because we have to understand what we have to give in order to give. So if you have your outline and you want to follow along, we're going to run through these fairly quickly. The first one is this talent. You have talent to give, your God-given skill, the things that you do naturally that others cannot. And you may even not even understand your giftedness because you just assume that everyone can. As I was a youth pastor in uh, Chartel Church of God in, in Oklahoma City, I was teaching Sunday school and then I had to be gone for a couple of weeks. And so I just kind of threw somebody in there and just expected them to do what I do. And my boss brought me into his office and he said, Will, help me understand why you didn't help this person teach. And I said, well, he can't pull out scripture and teach somebody and know how to do it and what to do. And my pastor looked at me and he said, Will, 
do you not understand that you're in this position because you've been given a gift of teaching and that not everybody has that gift? To me, I just assumed everybody could do what I do. But that's not true. God has given each of us unique talents that can be used for the kingdom of God. There's another piece of this that I think is a little bit different that I think is really neat if you think about it. And that is the temptations that you seem immune to. For some reason in my entire life, alcohol has never been a temptation for me. I I just don't care to drink it. I I wish I could say that I'm just, I have self-control, but I just think it tastes gross. Like I just, I just don't want anything to do with it. And, and thinking that maybe that is somewhat of a superpower. Maybe that is a talent. Maybe God wants me to help others in addiction, not to judge those who have problems with alcohol, but to help those because it's not a struggle for me. You've got talent that you can use for God. The other thing that you can use for God is time. Arguably our most precious commodity, giving the gift of our time by donating our skills, donating a listening ear, just helping people feel less lonely because it communicates to our neighbors that we see them, we hear them, that they matter. Another one is our resources. What resources do you have at your disposal and how can you use them to help others? And this is not just money. It's about anything that's at our disposal, whether it's materials, whether it's connections. Maybe you know somebody that knows somebody that can help somebody else, or maybe it's just the right tools. I remember uh, in Oklahoma City, I had just bought a snow shovel because I knew that there was snow coming, and I watched my neighbor trying to broom snow off her, her driveway, and I was like, you know what? I just bought this shovel. I just took it over to her and said, hey, I already did my driveway. Here's the shovel. You can, you know, use it. What, what do you have that maybe somebody else doesn't have and you can help them out? Another one is this, hospitality. And to me, this is all about attitude. It's about making people feel warm, making people feel at ease. And it, it is way more powerful than you think, especially living in this chaotic world. When you can make someone feel taken care of, when you can make somebody feel safe, it makes a difference. Another one is knowledge. And I'm sure you've heard this parable, give a fish and feed them for a day. Teach them to fish and feed them for a lifetime. Sometimes the greatest gift that we can give is knowledge. Because if then they give, if we give out of what we learn, then impact grows because then they can continue to teach it as well. And the last one is this, spiritual fruit. Now, this one's a little bit tricky because it doesn't necessarily come for us, but I would argue that the greatest gift that we have to give comes from the Holy Spirit. To be able to give someone love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And the good news about this piece is, is that anyone surrendered to Jesus, even if you have nothing else to give, you have these. And when we share the fruit of the Spirit, we're also sharing our faith because it's God's way of impacting others through His Spirit working in us. God can use you whether you have just a little or whether you have a lot to impact His kingdom. And whether your impact is big or small, hear me, it makes a difference. That being said, there's a few things that we need to understand as we seek to serve our neighbors by sharing our gifts And this is the first big piece, and you can fill in the blanks if you want to. Focus on being a good steward, not a savior. Focus on being a good steward and not 
a Savior. So those of you that know me know that I love the zoo. I've always loved the zoo. And now I take pictures at the zoo, but I've, I've just always been a fan of just going and, and seeing animals. And so there happened to be this thing. Stephanie and I were serving at a church in Pennsylvania, and the kids were doing this thing that they had to accomplish a certain memory verse, and then they got to go on a trip to the zoo. Well, they couldn't find anybody to take the kids to the zoo, so <laughs> I love the zoo. I'll take the kids. Terrible decision. <laughs> so I volunteer Stephanie and myself. This is before we have kids. We're going to take this group of kids. We're going to get in a church van. We're going to drive to Pittsburgh. We're going to do the zoo. It's going to be awesome. You know, the kids have this a little bit of money. We go to the gift shop. You know, each kid wants to spend their little bit of money. Well, there's a kid named Derek, and he wants to buy, like, the world's largest lollipop, right? That's all he wants. And so I'm like, I, I, Derek, I don't know if you should buy this lollipop. And he's like, I, I wasn't going to win the fight with him, but finally I gave in. I said, okay, Derek, buy the lollipop. So he gets this lollipop. We're walking around the zoo. All of a sudden, we're, we're standing in front of the sea lion exhibit. And I look inside, and I see a sea lion with a giant lollipop in its mouth. <laughs> and the sea lion throws it in the air, falls in the water. Sea lion goes down, grabs it again, comes back up, throws it in the air. So the sea lion's having a blast. He's having the time of his life. I'm having a panic attack because I'm thinking this sea lion's going to die, and I'm going to jail. And so I finally, I walk over and I said, uh, I, I found a worker. I said, excuse me, ma'am, some kid, I don't know who it is, <laughs> threw his lollipop and the sea lion is playing with it. Now, you guys get this. I, I don't know that anybody expected me to jump into the enclosure and go grab that lollipop from the sea lion. Especially because the, all the trainer did was come out and blow a whistle and the sea lion brought the lollipop to her and she tossed him a fish and it was like, good to go. Like, no big deal. It's like, really? Oh. Kids move. Let's go. <laughs> Faster. But nobody expected me to, to do that. My responsibility was letting someone know. Letting someone know that, hey, this sea lion's got a lollipop and it shouldn't have it. I don't, I, I, I don't think anybody would be mad at me because I didn't jump in. But somebody might have been mad at me if I didn't tell somebody. When we, we talk about serving our neighbors, it's, it's not about being a hero. It's just about being faithful. It's not our job to do everything. It's our responsibility to do what we can. God doesn't expect us to save the world. That's why he sent his son. But he does call us to pick up our own cross, just not Jesus' cross. That means dying to ourselves so that he might live in us. And I know that that sounds cryptic and strange, but, but all that means is to be faithful with the giftedness that he has entrusted to us, to sacrifice what we think we need and want for his way. So even though we follow in his footsteps, Jesus has done all the heavy lifting. He already made a way where there is no way. Our responsibility is simply to walk it. There's a story in scripture of a, a man that is called the rich young ruler. And he goes before Jesus and he says, Jesus, tell me what I have to do to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And Jesus says, you know, you've heard, obey the commandments. He says, I've, I've done that. I've done that since I was a kid. And Jesus says, you lack one thing. Surrender all you have and follow me. I want to read that scripture to you. It's Mark 10, 21. Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and he said to him, you lack one thing. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. This, this young ruler was looking for answers, and instead he see, received directions. He was a good person, and he was hoping that that was enough. But faith is not the pursuit of perfection for the sake of perfection. It's the pursuit of Jesus in the sake of wholeness. I've often interpreted this scripture through the lens of sacrifice, but what if it's not about that? What if this scripture is all about responsibility? What if it's not about the rich young ruler having less? What if it's about his potential impact? What if it's really about the responsibility the blessed have to the poor? What if Jesus is trying to help him understand that, that obeying the law is good, but the law is not fulfilled by obedience. It's fulfilled through service and compassion. That the goal of future heaven is foolish when we can have it here on earth now through the way that we love and care for one another. The real problem, however, is that most of us don't realize just how blessed we are because we have such a narrow view of what it means to be blessed. So many of us are standing on the sidelines because we don't think we have anything to give, because we're not rich in the ways that the world defines wealth. Raise your hand for me if, if you've seen the show Pawn Stars by the group of guys in Vegas. They, you know, people bring in stuff to sell them and then they kind of haggle about the price and whatnot. And they usually, if, if it's something they're not sure about, they go and they ask the expert. There's two types of people on the show that I love seeing. Number one is the people that bring in and they think they have the greatest treasure on planet Earth. And they're like asking ridiculous amounts of money. And then they get the expert to come in all to find out that what they have is fake. It's not real. It's not worth anything at all. The other thing that I love even more than that is when the person comes in and they're just trying to make a buck. And they got this thing and they have no idea how much worth is in that item. And they bring the expert in and they're like, man, this thing is worth thousands of dollars and they're just blown away. See, I think that's exactly what would happen to us if we stood before God. He would be so unimpressed with our worldly wealth, but he'd be blown away by our value, what we still have to offer the kingdom of God, that value that maybe sometimes we can't even see ourselves. And maybe you're sitting there right now and you're thinking, no, not me, pastor. You don't know me. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. No, you're wrong. You don't know you. If you're alive and God's breath is inside of you running through your lungs, it means you still have something to offer. It means you still matter. It means you can still make a difference. There's a story in Scripture about a guy named Gideon that thought the same thing. Who am I? I'm in the least family, and I'm the least one in my family. What, what can I do for the kingdom of God? I can't do anything. God sends an angel to him and says, Mighty man of valor, I'm calling you to do something bigger. I want you to take these men, and I want you to go to war against these enemies that are being a bully to you, and I'm going to deliver you. And Gideon's like, <laughs> What? He said, I can't, we can't fight them. We're going to lose. And what is he, God says, don't worry, I will be with you. 
See, Gideon believed that because he was a nobody according to the world that he didn't matter. But God called him out because God saw a man of faith and courage when no one else did. See, Satan wants nothing more than for you to believe that you have nothing to give. You're too old. You're you're too impaired. You're too young. You're too dumb. You're too far gone. You're too broken. He wants you to believe that, that what you have to give is too little to matter. See, but God didn't ask Gideon to take on that army by himself. He just asked him to be faithful. And then God made a way through what little he had, and it made all the difference in the world because God's the one that took on that army. And I get that it's, it's easy to carry the weight of everything that is wrong with the world, especially when we're faced with the overwhelming burden of that needed change in our lives. It makes our effort feel like a drop in the bucket, and that can discourage us. But what happens when we all come together? You know what happens? Those drops begin to add up. God's not asking for us to save the world. He simply wants us to be faithful with the things that he has given us. He's calling us to be faithful, to give what we can. And the ignorance of what we have is a poor excuse to do nothing. I hope sometime this week you take time to think and dwell about all you have to be thankful for, all you have to be blessed, and how those blessings can be used to bless somebody else. I hope you'll spend time asking Jesus to show you, to allow you to see inside of you what you cannot see so that your blessings can be a blessing to others. What do you have? How might you use it to build up the kingdom of God? 1 Peter 4.10 says this, As each of us have received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. We've all received a gift, all of us. So let us use them to serve one another. Let's go to the next piece. Be intentional and pray for awareness. Be intentional and pray for awareness. When Jesus met in the upper room with his disciples, he did something radical. He who was the Son of God took the lowly position of a servant and he washed feet. But it wasn't just about washing his disciples' feet. It was setting a precedence of serving. He told them that he wanted them to follow him, and to do that, they too would need to wash feet. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, now serving those who were shamefully bound by the flesh. To this, Jesus sends a message to all those who would seek to follow in his footsteps. It's it's not about just making time to serve, but being willing to humble ourselves in the dirt. It's not just about serving those who love us. It's also about serving those who you know are going to betray you. I want to read to you Matthew 25, 34 through 40. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you for the creation of the world. For when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was a stranger... You invited me into your home. When I was naked, you gave me clothing. When I was sick, you cared for me. When I was in prison, you visited me. Then all the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When when did we show you hospitality? When were you naked and and we gave you clothing? When when were you sick or in prison and visit you? We, We don't remember these things. And the king will say to them, I tell you the truth, when you do any of these things to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are doing it unto me. 
Jesus tells us that the most important commandment is to love God. But then he gives us a second commandment to love other people, our neighbors. And then he says it's equally important because the ways that we express love to God is by expressing love to his children. Jesus is calling us to serve the least of these, calling us to serve those who need help because when we serve them, we're also serving Jesus. Serving usually happens through one of two things, choice or opportunity. We either decide to plan to serve someone or something, and we do it, or we take an advantage of an opportunity that prevents, presents itself to us. So serving is being about uh, intentional to make time to plan to serve, and it's also about having an awareness of the opportunities that come up in our lives. I grew up in a family where every year during Christmas time, we, we went downtown Tampa and we served in this place called Metro Ministries. And Metro Ministries was basically a hub to make sure that underprivileged families could have Christmas too. And so you could go in there and you could shop for gifts for your kids. You could get supplies to make a Christmas dinner. So that's what we did. Every Christmas, every year, we took at least one morning for a couple hours and we spent it serving. It, it was our plan. It's, it, it's not like we just decided, you know, hey, we could do this. No, we, we knew years in advance, every year when this happens, this is our plan. We're going to go serve because at Christmas time, it's important to remember the reason for the season. This convicted me deeply. As the spiritual leader of my household, I have not done this well. I think that me and my family, we're, we're pretty good at, at serving when opportunities arise. But am I making effort to plan ways for my family to serve? And, and how many of us are doing that? How many of us plan or strategize ways to get involved with our churches, ways to get involved with, with our community? This is what I know. Every church leadership that, that I talk to, we're all trying to come up with creative ways to get people to serve. And that just seems like an indicator to me that we're not doing something right and I know that some of that stems from this distrust of authority, and rightfully so. But instead of doing nothing, can, can we at least just start a conversation? Can we figure it out? Like, we're, we're past COVID. Let, let's get something together. See, the church has let too much of our job description be taken over by the government. We're the ones who are supposed to be caring for the orphans and the widows, the sick and imprisoned, the outcast, the destitute. I'm upset because I know too many times in my life I've missed opportunities to serve. So let us move into a future where we plan to serve our community because it's on our knees, washing feet where others will see Christ in us. This also leads me to opportunity. We can't just plan, but sometimes we have to pray for an awareness. Pray for a divine awareness that allows us to see opportunities. When I was in college, we, we didn't really have too much close to the college. We had like a Sonic down the street. And I remember walking to Sonic because I was hungry. And I'm there and I, and I ordered my food and I'm standing there and I'm waiting for my food to be delivered. And then this guy comes up. And he starts ordering food. And I just sense this thing in my spirit telling me, Will, go pay for that guy. And I'm, I'm like, I'm fighting against the Lord. I'm like, 
God, I'm in college. The money I just used to, to pay for my own food was from my mom. And you want me to go pay for this guy? And I just kind of argued with God too long, and he ordered his food, and he left. And I, I turned around to walk to go back to school. I noticed a car, and it was full of Matthew soccer players. So not only did I miss an opportunity to bless that guy, I missed an opportunity to be a good witness to some athletes at my school. I realized that I missed out because there's two main things that keep us from missing opportunities. We're either too busy or what I call Captain Oblivious. And that's different than Captain Obvious. Captain Obvious sees things. Captain Oblivious... There's a story in Scripture at the end of John. It's my favorite chapter because there's so much good stuff in there. But the disciples are out fishing. Jesus has died. He's been resurrected. He's standing on the shore. And and Jesus calls out and says, hey, throw your nets on the other side because they hadn't caught anything all night. And they realize that this is Jesus because they've heard this before. And so Peter jumps in, like, everybody's going to get in the boat. Everybody's going to row to shore and go to see Jesus. That's not good enough for Peter. Peter sees an opportunity. He quits what he's doing. He jumps in the water, and he swims to Jesus because he wants to get to him as fast as he can. And not only that, but it's an opportunity for him to be in the feet of Jesus without the other disciples, for him to be there by himself. When an opportunity presents itself, Peter drops everything that he's doing so that he can be with Jesus. And it's there with Jesus where he receives inspiration to serve people because it's Jesus that looks at him and says, do you love me? And serve my sheep. In order to not miss opportunities, we need to be willing to stop what we're doing. Sometimes that's why we miss stuff, because we're just too busy. To do as Paul reminds us in Philippians, and to consider others as more important than ourselves. And to do that, we've got to take our focus off ourselves, to be like the Good Samaritan, able to see what's happening around us, and able to reach out and help. But it's in that presence of Jesus that, that this is so important, and this is why prayer matters, because sometimes we just don't see opportunities that Jesus does and when Peter is in the presence of Jesus, he says, feed my, feed my sheep, serve my people. And this is why it's so important to pray and ask for Jesus to help. Ask for, for us to be able to see as he does. Because it's God who sees the heart that can lead us to opportunities that, that we would have never seen on our own. So that we don't miss opportunities to give our gifts to the benefit of others. Be intentional. Pray for awareness. Be intentional. Pray for awareness. Last piece is this. Serving is not about abundance. It's about trust. Serving is not about abundance. It's about trust. When I was a youth pastor in Oklahoma City, we always took our kids on a lake trip. And we went out on the boats all day. And at the resort area that we were staying, there was this really nice restaurant. And this is the first time I've ever been to this restaurant. And I've been out on a boat in the sun all day, so I'm hungry, okay? I'm not just hungry, I'm hungry. I'm like, I'm going to get me some food. And so it's one of those restaurants where I don't get this, whatever. 
where you got to order a sandwich, and then if you want french fries, you got to order them separately. I don't know. It's no combo deals, okay? So I tell the kids, I'm going to give me a hamburger, and I'm going to give me a side of fries. And the kids warn me. They say, Pastor Will, they give you a lot of fries. You're going to want to share them with somebody. And that was like disrespectful to me, right? Because I'm thinking, I'm a grown man. I can eat some french fries. So the french fries come. Guys, I'm not kidding. It's a mountain. It is a literal mountain of french fries covered in cheese and bacon and goodness. I didn't get anywhere. I I ate at those french fries for it felt like an hour, and it didn't even look like I made a dent. And so it's not long before I'm like trying to, I'm trying to pass them off to other people. Yo, you want some french fries? I'm asking people I don't even know. Hey, I got extra fries here. I hate to see them go to waste. You want some extra fries? So here it is, in this abundance of french fries that I have, I'm starting to get real generous. I need to apologize to everybody today because I promoted a dysfunctional mentality. In our missions giving, I I talked about giving in seasons of abundance. Like this month, for those of us that received three paychecks in March. Not that it's necessarily a bad thing to give more when we have more, but to only give in abundance robs you of the provision and blessing of God. It's in faith that our sacrificial giving that God promises his faithfulness to us. So we have to be really weary of any of these sentiments. I have a lot of extra time so I can serve. I have a lot of extra money so I can give. I got a lot of extra food so I can share. I'm having a good day today so I can be kind. That is to say that our serving and our giving should never flow out of abundance. Rather, it should flow out of our character. It should flow out of who we are because we are children of God. So not only is it, is it who we are, it's, it's what we do, and we do it gladly because we trust God more than we trust our bank account. Luke 16, 10 says this, One who is faithful in very little will also be faithful in much, but one who is dishonest in little will also be dishonest in much. This scripture to me is kindly telling us that, listen, you're either generous or you're not. And if you're not generous with the little that you have, you're not going to be generous when you have an abundance. The good news is in this is that if you're not currently generous, that can change. Maybe you just need to understand just how much God can use what little you have. Luke 21, 1 through 4 While Jesus was in the temple, he watched rich people dropping in their gifts into the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. And I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their abundance. But she, being poor, has given everything she has. To me, this this scripture is great perspective for us because even though it's focused on the monetary, think broader. Can you say that you have given everything you have for the kingdom of God? Ezekiel 16, 49 through 50 says this. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, and they didn't aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. Did you catch that? Did you you hear what I just read? We're talking about Sodom. We're talking about the city that was so evil that God wiped it from the face 
of the planet. We're talking about a, a city that was so evil that looking back at it, Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt. To receive that kind of wrath, like it must have been the worst sin possible. The people of Sodom, they, they must have been involved in extortion, murder, drugs, sacrificing children to false gods, sex trafficking, the most horrific things that you can possibly imagine. But that's not what it says. The sin that unleashed the untethered wrath of God was selfishness. A people surrounded and living with excess who refused to help the poor and needy and the suffering. They had the ability, they had the resources to help, yet they did nothing. To me, I think this is one of the hardest transitions of faith because being a part of the kingdom of God costs us everything, but it also gives us everything. Matthew 10, 39. If you don't go all the way with me through the thick and the thin, then you don't deserve me. If your first concern is to look after yourself, then you'll never find yourself. But if you forget about yourself and you look to me, you'll find both yourself and me. I get how this scripture can seem harsh, but, but think about it. The one who created us is trying to warn us that this world has nothing for us. And if all you do is consider yourself and care for yourself, you're never going to be satisfied. But if you forget about yourself and you look to Jesus Christ, you'll find not only who you really are, but you'll find and encounter Jesus Christ. Jesus is hinting to us that generosity stems from faith because those that understand that they have everything in Christ are willing to give everything away. even when it means it's your last two copper coins. And I hope, I hope at some level there is some conviction there because, listen, all of us can be more generous. But it's not generosity for the sake of obedience. It's generosity for the sake of Christ. I'm going to ask the band to come back up, and they're going to lead us. And I hope you understand this. I, I don't think that I nor God intend to shame you. Rather remind you that every new day is another opportunity to be a blessing. And I want you to hear me when I say this. You do not have to be rich to be generous. You do not have to be rich to be generous. Today, I, I hope that as we leave this place, it, it's, an, it's an opportunity for us to plan and be ready. An opportunity to, to ask God to show us those opportunities. Because I, I get it, guys. It, it's not easy. It, it, it would be easy just to throw money at stuff. But sometimes you're like, I don't know where that money's going. Even, even people that are standing on the side of the street sometimes, it's like, is that actually going to get used for food or something useful? Or are they just going to buy drugs? Well, I, I, I get that mentality. But God's not asking for us to worry about that. He's just asking for us to be generous. And maybe God doesn't want us to be generous with our money and just throw money at it. But, but what else do we have to give? What are those opportunities that we miss every day simply because we're just focused on the tasks that we need to complete? I'm, I'm, I'm just as bad. 
I'm not standing up here telling you I got this figured out. I'm standing up here because this week I'm, I'm writing this stuff and I'm thinking, wow, God, I got a lot to work on. Because we all do. It's so hard not to get sucked up into the vortex of life. Like, like I, I get that. But to me, to, today is a reminder of, of not only the generosity that Christ has given to us and the way that he has served us as our Savior, but a reminder that, guys, it's our opportunity to pick up our own cross, to love others because he has loved us, to be generous to others because he has been generous to us, and knowing that, man, I can suffer the loss of all things knowing that I have Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. So I don't know how you need to respond today. Today might not be an altar day. Maybe today is to sit there and take out your sermon notes and think about and plan about how you can be generous. Maybe today is about coming to the altar and asking God to, to show you opportunities, to give you the strength and courage you need to take those opportunities. I, I don't know where you are, but don't miss out on today's opportunity to draw closer to Jesus Christ. Would you lead us?